0: What's up guys, welcome to Retro RGB Road Trip number two with Kevdris. Hey guys, I am here with KevTris live in person. This is the Retro RGB road trip number two and uh, the other side of the screen. Usually I'm staring at you, staring at your uh, at your monitor here.
1: <laughs> Minimize everything. Hide all
0: your top secret info. Yeah, I already did that. Yeah. We all know the truth. We all know you're working on the Coleco Chameleon. <laughs>
1: <laughs> you mean the Atari POS?
0: <laughs> yes, absolutely. So what's up, dude? Thank you very much for allowing me to come in here and invade your space. Uh-huh. This is, uh, it's been really neat so far. I visited Jason. I got other people on the list. And just it's so much cooler to see somebody in their element. You know, you've done a lot of amazing work, and uh, just wanted to pick your brain a little bit more than the last couple times, I okay. guess. So um, obviously, I got to start with the Super NT because holy crap, is that thing awesome? Um, last time I talked to you, you. It was before a lot of things could go public, so you couldn't really talk about it too much. But uh, do you want to give us a rundown of what that was like? I mean, we know you jammed what, probably a year's worth of work into six months.
1: Yeah, something <laughs> like that.
0: Uh, I mean, I guess as an overview and a refresher, what was that like? I mean, did you really have to go through crazy pains to get everything out of that?
1: Or well, yeah. I mean, I was working. You know, I have a day job, and then I come home and take a nap and then get up and work on uh, super nt all day or all night and then go to sleep and then do it again Jeez,
0: that's gonna wear on you though doesn't oh yeah it? you need time to recover yeah well vacation. i don't
1: have time to recover you know it's right on to the next project
0: you know i know the feeling and i love it because sometimes i burn out and i like to take a little vacation but i'm happiest when i'm doing something that it's enjoyable but and then one day you wake up and it's not <laughs> yeah, but then you gotta know, just power through it, take your break, and get back to it. But, um, well, it's no
1: longer fun when you have a deadline.
0: Yeah, yeah, but without without confines, you know, you don't get your most uh, creative. I just murdered that quote. That was an Albert Einstein quote that I just heard Neil deGrasse Tyson say again the other day, and I messed both of their versions up. But I think you get the point. <laughs> um, for the for the Super NT, I tested that thing a lot, played a lot of games on it. Uh, and I, I'm usually the one that finds any of the weird visual things on it. I don't know why I'm kind of colorblind, but I see sharpness really well. Must be one of those like you lose one sense again the other. And it, I thought it was just absolutely phenomenal. Um, I, I mean, any any insight on how how you got the video that sharp and that
1: perfect? Well, I was developing it by using a real PPU. So it's it's actually I should rephrase. I should not yeah. say the word. Oh,
0: the company.
1: <laughs> um, system. <laughs> oh, you can say it, but I shouldn't really say it. <laughs> oh,
0: fair enough. Maybe I'll maybe I'll like bleep so it looks like you're swearing. At me. <laughs> um but, so basically with uh I know there's always the debate of hardware simulation versus emulation, but a very quick layman's term, an FPGA could emulate the exact way a chip works, not an entire system. So when you when you properly recreate the way a chip works, it's a one-to-one recreation of it.
1: Yeah, pretty much. It should be, if it's accurate.
0: If it's accurate. Now, that's the key right there. So your cores seem to be pretty crazy accurate. Um and I, I mean, as simple as, um, as oversimplifying as I'm making that, it's really just what it comes down to: making the cores as accurate to the original chips as possible.
1: Yes. Well, I did direct hardware compare in real time of the real chips versus my FPGA of it.
0: So did you have like a Super Nintendo running hooked up to a TV, and then uh, you know yours running as well to kind of see where you're going, or well, probably no? I, I made scope.
1: custom hardware. That has the system chips on it and it plugs in and then I can run them both in parallel directly at the same time. Hmm. A one-to-one compare.
0: So you took the Super Nintendo chips off the board and put it onto your custom board so that you could run it through. Yes. That's awesome. That's such a cool way of doing things. And did you just use like an HDMI logic analyzer or did you use all of your own custom equipment?
1: No, it's all my own custom stuff. This is in the system. This is an HDMI. So the HDMI is blast.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Well, yeah, now that I think about it, it was a pretty stupid thing to say. But uh, So now that the project's kind of come to an end, um, you know, there's uh, obviously a lot of testing going on. It works great with the ROM cards that I've been using. I'm obviously a huge fan of the SD to SNES. The analog pass-through works great, so you get Super Game Boy and the MSU games. Um, I can't think of any feature... Uh, other than implementing, like, the SD to into it. Is there any feature, looking back, that you would have changed on it? or? No, and, I think
1: uh, it's pretty much came out exactly how I wanted it, and it's pretty perfect, I think.
0: Yeah, I think most people would, would agree with that. Um, any of the settings of the menus, uh, the way they're programmed, once you get used to it, it's very easy. But uh, have you ever thought of adding some pre-programmed um, settings to it, like, so you can go in and have... Super Game Boy Phil, Super Game Boy Stretched, or any of the other stuff.
1: Yeah, I thought about it. I don't have time to add it. You know, I'm so busy with everything Mm. that, I mean, I have to, you know, take my time on what I have to do, and, you know, I can't, you know, know, I don't know how to explain it.
0: (laughs) You have to use your time wisely. You can't just... Yeah, uh,
1: Yeah, I have to portion my time into, you know, adding features that, you know, people want what i can do what i can do easily if something's going to take a lot of time or effort i don't have time and the time to do it Mm. if i was just working on this one product for five years i could add every single little thing and you know that anybody could ever want and then some but i don't have time to do that i gotta work on the next project
0: right and what what is is it entailed when you add things like a menu update, because for me who never did Verilog programming and doesn't know anything about this, it seems like at least adding a menu setting would be easier than adding a new chip support or something. Is it you know, a day's worth of work and testing?
1: It just depends on what the feature is. Mm-hmm. I mean, the menu part's fairly easy. There's hardware on the back end and software on the menu. Okay. And then there's lots of testing. The testing sometimes takes more than actually adding it mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and making sure it doesn't conflict. So if you have this new feature on and these other features, is it gonna have a problem? But yeah, I could, I been, couldn't be happier with the reception, basically. You know, everyone's been really happy, it sold well, and you know, what else can you say?
0: Yeah, exactly. Um, now, uh, the analog Twitter account teased an RGB output board. So that's obviously public knowledge. Is that something that you can comment at all? Is there going to be a target release date?
1: I, I don't know. I don't. I can't comment really. Okay. Unfortunately, I can't comment on that. Now I
0: assume that that decision was really just made to save cost, right? So it would make sense because if you have whatever the board costs, let's say 50 bucks, um, to add that onto the Super NT, that adds 50 bucks to every board, and not everybody's going to want it. I think even yeah. people that love RGB setups might have one just sitting on their flat screen. So it makes sense to separate a board and uh, I hope I hope the analog Twitter account gives us more than a, <laughs> a cryptic text every 6 months but uh, I'll be paying attention for that. Um what about all the other projects you've worked on in the past? I mean, I'm obviously I couldn't stop talking about the analog NT mini. I thought that was pretty, mur- you know, miraculous for all the things that it did. Uh and obviously the high def ness. Yeah. Um Whenever time allows, at some point in your hobby future, uh, if you have that, or if you assume you don't just take one insane project after another, were there anything else that you wanted to go back and add to any of those, or were you pretty much, I mean, no one's ever 100% happy with their work.
1: But, well, yeah, um, I mean, there's tons of things I wanted to fix and add. I still need the Intellivision core on the NT Mini. You know, yeah. that's fully done and finished and working, but, you know, it just didn't have time to add it in there.
0: Yeah. Yeah, one thing I I always ask you about, and I guess that's probably the fourth time I'm asking, and I'm hoping for a different answer this time, is do you ever consider just doing direct bit for bit output over HDMI? So, whatever the original signal is, just spit it out, knowing that it's probably not compatible with TVs.
1: I mean, you could theoretically do it, but I mean, at this point, you know, I don't have the time to add that.
0: I hope that's something you keep in the back of your mind for the future because of all the talk of potential 4K and then 8K scalers, holographic scalers 20 years from now, whenever we have you know 3D boxes in our living room. The, the one thing that I definitely saw over the years, especially with scaling, is being able to have a one-to-one digital bit-for-bit output of something, uh, manipulating that image always seems to be in the long run better than manipulating whatever else came afterwards. Mm-hmm. So going 1080p to 4K, I don't think anybody on the planet would notice the difference. But uh 8K, you know, 10K whatever comes next, that that might be I guess I'm always thinking of future proofing, mm-hmm. you know. But um anything uh out of all the stuff that that you've made though, I mean, the, those three that I I named were pretty crazy was there any other things that you've been working on that uh, you have in the future any hobby projects not not licensed projects
1: no not really nothing None
0: nothing of the new audio stuff that you were working on or anything
1: no not really I mean I got the synthesizer but that's who knows when that's two or three years out at least
0: yeah you've been working on that for a while though right
1: well, I have like four or five of them
0: <laughs> yeah I think the first time I talked to you was uh, you were you showed one revision of it the your audio conversions so um, I had gone back and rechecked your website a couple times and really listened to some of those where you took NES audio and converted it to uh, Atari Twenty Six Hundred. Yeah. Um, is there a, are there tools out there that people could use to mess with this stuff themselves? The or NT do you, Mini does that. You could you could actually switch it from.
1: Yeah, it's right in the NT Mini in the audio is menu. Is that the
0: NSF player,
1: or is that? Well, it'll do it in the NSF player, but it's in it's in the audio menu. It's already in there. If you have an NT Mini, it already does it.
0: Oh, that's one of the features that I probably just didn't understand how to use um, I was also thinking for more along the lines of people who make their own music So uh, people that program in their own MIDI soundtracks Even musicians I know that play in live bands, guitar, bass A lot of them will program their stuff into like Guitar Pro Which essentially mm-hmm. just is MIDI um, is there software out there that you could put it through and convert it to a format so even in the analog NT Mini you could play your own recordings? What it would sound like on an Atari, on an S, on a
1: I don't know. I mean, it, you'd have to make it into an NSF. If you can make it into an NSF, you could play it.
0: That's something I have to look into. I think that I'm sure there,
1: there's lots of NSF trackers. So if you know mm-hmm. a tracker, you can do it in that.
0: That's definitely something I want to look into. When I work on my next album, I'd love to put everything in MIDI and then have like a Sega Genesis version of, uh, of my music. I think I might cry. get <laughs> to plug it in and play it, on the, play it on the console I played on as a kid while I was learning how to play guitar. So um, you have here a lot of very fun toys. Uh, is there any ones that you wanted to talk about specifically? Uh, do you want to talk a little bit? I got footage that I'll play over this, but do you want to talk a little bit about that magnetic, magnetic flip thing?
1: Oh, well, the flip dots. Flip dots. Yeah, what about it? What is it? It was like a bus, uh, a bus sign, mm-hmm. you know, to tell you which street the bus was going to stop at, I guess. Yeah, they were on the fronts and back of buses. Oh, okay. I think that's what they used it for.
0: And you reprogrammed it?
1: Well, yeah, it didn't have anything on it. I made a controller board for it.
0: So you actually designed a controller board for something that, that you found like that? I got it on eBay. On eBay?
1: Yeah, I bought it on eBay. I always wanted one, I was curious how they worked, so. How
0: did you figure out how to write a controller for it?
1: Well, I figured out how it worked and then made a controller. (laughs)
0: I hate it when you say things like that, because you say it like, Bob, I just figured it out. Why don't you go figure it out? I wouldn't even know where to begin. Do you well, just you probe it? you
1: show B-roll of it. Here's the controller.
0: Yeah, so do you, is it just an interface with, uh, so every pin has an electrical on-off switch, and you just probed around to figure it out? Is it?
1: Well, the I had to figure out how the flip-dot controller works. I mean, it's not that difficult. There's like a little coil for each dot, mm-hmm. and then there's diodes, and they're in a matrix, like mm-hmm. an XY matrix, so I figured the pin out of that out using a multimeter and the power supply and you know, i can flip the dots with the power supply then mm-hmm. i designed a circuit board to drive it
0: that's pretty and incredible that's the
1: circuit board so
0: well i thought that thing was very cool mm-hmm. um what yeah, about
1: the... i want to do pong on it
0: <laughs> oh i would love that or snake game That yeah, would work yeah yeah talk about oh, yeah. the
1: snake game mm-hmm.
0: yeah that's pretty cool do you think uh i mean that sounds like something if you made a kid of i know a ton of people that would have that just for the hell of it just yeah. for some very cool creation where
1: would you get the flip dot controller though you'd have to find that same yeah, one, on find eBay. one on ebay yeah i've seen them for sale on ebay that's where i got it i've seen other you know the same the same model i have being sold on ebay
0: what brought you to the place where you looked for a flip dot controller
1: well i've always wanted one so i was like oh i'm just gonna search ebay for it <laughs> i saw it somewhere and i you know i've always wanted to know how they worked so you just
0: figured let's see if they have one on ebay
1: yeah and i found it on ebay someone sold two of them it was like 100 bucks or something i was like oh that's cheap enough
0: i found tons of stuff that way but i've also found stuff like i searched for one thing spelled it wrong and i saw another thing i'm like oh you know i could buy one of those Uh i see now i have a pile of junk at my house (laughs) (laughs) but um what about the thing that looks like a bunch like a frankenstein tube amplifier
1: Oh yeah, the Nixie or the or that's a decatron clock, yeah.
0: So I'll I'll get footage of that after,
1: but what exactly is that? Well, decatrons were counting tubes. This is how you counted electronically before transistors were a thing, because you know you wanted to count pulses. So those decatron tubes are a way to count pulses. So you would have like a six-digit counter. You'd have four decatrons for the fast counting, and then a mechanical counter for the last two digits. Or whatever Hmm. you could count up to you know five or ten kilohertz you know which isn't that fast but back then i mean that's pretty much all you had and you're vastly limited so that was how you counted electronically and it's neon filled tube and a glow steps in a circle there's 10 positions so Mm -hmm. well i had some
0: random questions for you that maybe i'll maybe i'll cut out maybe i won't i just uh i don't even know if they'd apply to anything else but uh, one of the things I've been working on was just different ways to do lag testing. So uh, Artemio worked with me to do a custom version of his lag test on the 240p suite, and I had an LED wired into a controller to try to take. Uh, I had a 1,000-frame-per-second camera, so I was able to, to to do that to see, count exactly how long it would take uh-huh. from the time the light came on till that. That was pretty neat. It's very hard on CRTs because you have to do it so many times until you get lucky and have the light wave come mm-hmm. down across where it is. Um, Have you ever thought of programming anything into that to, like, the Super NT? So the LED light in the front goes off when you press a button versus the screen. Well, I thought about
1: making a cartridge with a light sensor on it. Hmm. And you would plug it into your system. You could make a model for, you know, whatever system you wanted. And then you held it up to the screen, and it would tell you the lag in milliseconds right on the screen.
0: Whoa. That would be incredible. Yeah. Because obviously there's lag test devices out there, but the one thing that... uh, I always try to do, and I'm I'm sure not everybody's weird like me, but when I test the TV, I want to test its lag, but I also want to test the compatibility with Super Nintendo, both through the HD RetroVision cables for people that just want to use component, for all TVs that still have component, uh, and I want to test it through the open source scan converter. Mm -hmm. So to be able to do all of that in one is why I've been been trying to um to use the super nintendo yeah is there a limitation for how fast and this might be a very dumb question but is there a limitation for how fast the super nintendo can count on screen so if there was like a millisecond microsecond uh well timer. It,
1: you would, i would probably do it with some hardware mm-hmm. and it could count clock pulses so there's twenty one thousand clock pulses or sorry 21 million clock pulses a second so i think you can get pretty good resolution of that you can get sub microsecond resolution which is way too much
0: yeah but it's still pretty killer
1: yeah i love proof of
0: concept stuff like that too you know
1: i mean it wouldn't be it'd be really easy to make it i just don't have time to make it you know i mean probably take me two or three days to make that
0: i'll add that to your retirement list (laughs) Um, I guess I want to talk a little bit about your legacy because I tried my artist to all the people that I I look up to and think are are really giving back and and doing work that's important. I try to do my part, but I mean, that's, let's be honest, like this, uh, this isn 't mainstream stuff. Maybe I could get other people to jump on and do it, but some of the things I 've been working on is trying to do exhibits in museums. Mm-hmm. Uh, I had one talk to me about doing a Nintendo exhibit with different Crts, so you got a Super Nintendo with you know RF to a crappy TV composite to an okay one, s video RGB so you could play in real uh-huh. time and see the whole difference. We' we'll even split the RGB to like a good LCD scaled and a bad LCD so people see the difference. Perfect way to demonstrate lag, leave the, the unscaled one on movie mode so you could watch uh-huh. Mario jump a second after everybody mm-hmm. else. Um, what, what type of things do you want people to remember you for, for your legacy other than just the products? I mean, the work that came in, the the story behind the man, like what, is, is that something you even care about? Or no, I've that... never
1: really thought about it. Really? Yeah.
0: Well, other people have thought of it for you, so <laughs> unfortunately, whether you like it or not, you're famous, but, uh. Yeah, it's something that I always wondered, because the work that you've done, no one else has gotten to your level ever for in the gaming world, at least. Mm-hmm. I'm sure there's other brilliant FPGA designers around the world. There's billions of people, but certainly not in a retro gaming scene. Yeah, so. I
1: don't know why no one else has really you know done that. Yeah. I mean, there are other cores and stuff, but nothing ever you know really very finished, it seems. Well, or that's accurate. a big problem with most
0: anybody who has a hobby, is just being able to finish it. I think most people in my life, all the music that I did, I can't tell you how many bands had an 85% completed album, you know, had a tour booked and didn't go on it. It's the same thing with any, any hobby that requires effort to finish. Yeah. So.
1: Well, you know, the last 10% takes the 90% of the effort, supposedly.
0: Yeah. Yeah, and just doing it is a huge thing. That's something that I never understood. Even when people said the words to me, I didn't grasp until I started seeing it. It's, all the uh armchair engineers barstool racers whatever you want to call them like uh you know always talk about doing something but never even take step one Mm -hmm. into trying it so you've clearly hit hit all the steps for these products
1: i see that a lot on like the internet people ask me about you know doing things and they they haven't taken the first step you know they want to learn how to do fpgas but they haven't ever like looked on google or yeah. Or, oh, I don't know how to do that, but we're going to learn about that at, at the university. We just haven't got there yet. So, you know, they're like waiting until they get to a part in the course to learn something. I'm like, you're never going to, it's never going to happen unless you, you know, proactively learn it.
0: Yeah. And unfortunately, too, a lot of people don't understand the uh, what goes behind So a lot of people can go in and like for even for me is a dumb example, but I just to to relearn WordPress because I haven't used it in years and I got good at it quickly. And then I needed some of the code changed and was just stuck Uh because I didn't know. So I I would never be saying like, "Oh yeah, I know WordPress now," because I don't. I know how to use the GUI. So I think a lot of people think, "Oh FPGA, you know, I know I used to program uh, Visual Basic. Maybe I could just learn this new GUI and try to put stuff in there." And it's, it's a lot more to it than that.
1: Well, the hard thing is it's not programming. You know, it looks like programming. You type it into a text editor. It looks kind of like code, but it isn't.
0: How would you? What would you describe it as then?
1: It's a it's a schematic that you enter in text form.
0: That's right, because it's not running a program. It's mimicking the actions of the chip. Mm-hmm.
1: So huh. yeah, you're you're writing a you're writing a schematic in a text file.
0: That's pretty crazy to think of it that way.
1: Well, you, you give all the signals names, and then you say, well, you know, this signal's anded with that signal, so, you know, that's like an and gate.
0: Hmm. Uh, what about people that want to get started into FPGA that, that, that are not the groups that I just talked about, the people that understand there's going to be a challenge and you have to learn a new skill from scratch? Is there a good way to dip your toe in the water?
1: I have no idea. <laughs> you know, people always ask me this question. I can't answer it. Hmm. I don't know, you know, I've been doing it for a long time other than just get something and just start playing with it, you know? That's how I learned.
0: Yeah, I would assume that you get the cheapest FPGA kit you could find as a kit on eBay or Amazon. Uh, no, that's then just not really a good it. idea. Really?
1: No. You want something that everybody's using. I think like a DE0 Nano or something
0: okay so you do at least know a
1: little bit towards the first uh, yeah step well then. i mean yeah. there are some good dev boards you don't want to go on ebay or amazon and buy the cheapest one mm-hmm. because you're not going to have any support nobody's going to own nothing but you if you have problems the manufacturer is not even going to help you you don't even know made mm-hmm. you know who may made it yeah they're mm-hmm. going to probably use old chips you know you want something fairly new so the compiler will support you download the compiler it works one of these fly-by-night dev boards has like a cyclone one two or three on it you know you're gonna have to use a compiler from two or three or four or five years ago
0: makes sense uh do you ever do you ever find it hard when you get sucked into your work stuff to like balance they call it the new kids are calling it the work family balance work-life balance i don't even know what the kids are calling it work-life balance is that something that affects you because it certainly gets me i get sucked into a project and two days later my wife's like have you left the house at least you showered but
1: like (laughs) well fortunately i don't have a wife or kids so i don't have to worry about that
0: yeah i don't have kids either so it's not like i'm neglecting children running around looking to be fed or anything like that but uh
1: well i mean if it's what you do and it's what makes money i mean that's what you have to do you know
0: certainly the way i look at it i
1: mean if it's a hobby and you're spending all your time on your hobby and neglecting other things that's one thing but if this is your livelihood and how you have to put food on the table well you gotta do what you gotta do
0: yeah it's absolutely the way i look at it you
1: know, that's what i do i gotta work hard you know if i want to get paid
0: as far as your setup goes because uh right, um you know it is this is basically about <clears throat> the behind the scenes of the developer here see you have a fancy scope that i do not know No, about. that's
1: like a really old scope
0: that's an old hewlett-packard
1: yeah yeah they but, changed their name twice since then
0: that's pretty funny <laughs> but obviously it's got the bandwidth to support all the different things that you're using on it so it's still at one point it was a very high end scope
1: to be oh able yeah to at one that. point that was a twenty thousand dollar scope probably well oh, oh. you can buy oh. that on ebay for like 300 bucks really yeah oh yeah
0: yeah, I'm happy with the Rygel that I use, but at the same time, I mostly don't know what I'm doing. I just yeah. follow other people's instructions. I, I don't so. like
1: Rygels; they're kind of a piece of crap. I mean, they're okay. No, I mean, I guess I can't say that. No, for
0: somebody who's working at your level, I understand that. For well, beginners well, can, they seem fine.
1: Well, I can explain why I say that. I mean, for a lot of people, it's probably fine. We have one at work, and I mean, I do. Love, I mean, I use it. Mm-hmm. But if you ever use something like this, and then you go to the Rygel, it's kind of like a it sucks. <laughs>
0: It's just the ease of use?
1: That and the speeded updates. That thing, you know, even though it's old, that updates 20 or 30 times a second. So it's like using an analog scope, but it's not. Oh, okay.
0: okay. So
1: the Rigols, you know, they update, you know, 10 times a second maybe. I mean, the really, really new ones are actually a lot better than that. I'm thinking of the Rigol of like four or five years ago.
0: Yeah, it's 1054 is the one that I have. So it's probably four or five. It's brand new, but it was probably mm-hmm. a model from four years ago or something. I don't
1: know if they've improved it since then, you know, like, you know, incrementally, even though it's the same model, it's, like, got new software and stuff.
0: hmm So what are the tools that, that that you depend on then? Obviously, you would have to need the scope. you am assuming you'd need that RGB monitor. You can't have the composite S-video and RGB signals and component, too. Yeah.
1: Well, my setup is pretty comical i mean that there's as you see there's not really a lot to the setup
0: no no i mean it's basically a soldering iron you got you know i'm assuming everybody do you even use a multimeter or do you do everything? oh too? hell
1: yeah i mean i'd be screwed without a multimeter
0: because to be honest for a lot of the measurements i take now i've been just training myself to work on the scope so other than toning stuff out you know
1: yeah is that fluke 79 oh okay and it's only like 25 years old <laughs>
0: I mean this might sound like a really dumb beginner question, but what do you use the scope for? Obviously testing for for tone and uh, basic voltages, but what passed that?
1: Uh, timing.
0: Oh yeah, yeah. Digital
1: okay. logic, analog things like I was checking video signals on there, audio.
0: Why would you check video signals on that versus a scope? Well, I gotta see what naive vol- question. I, I got to but-
1: see what the voltage levels are, you know to see if it's you know compliant with the standard or not. And you know, that's the thing. You know, a lot of people make these like fly by night, you know, like AV mods, like you know, for the twenty six hundred or whatever. Mm-hmm. They're like, well, the picture's really dark, or oh, the picture's is really bright. Mm-hmm. But you know, they make this mod, and you know, if they sell it, it may work on their TV, but it doesn't work on the next person's monitor, or it's way too bright or dark, and that's because the voltage level isn't right. Mm-hmm but uh, they don't have any way to know this. Mm-hmm. So if you look at it on the scope, then you can say, oh, yeah, well, that's, you know, the proper, you know, one volt here and all that.
0: Yeah, I just, I, I, I guess my question is, in what scenario would you, KevTris, use uh, a multimeter other than, instead of the scope, for uh, the other, other than the obvious basic voltage? Like voltage
1: measurements and um, frequency sometimes and uh, resistance and ohming things out.
0: Oh, i, mean, out I use that a, a yeah. lot yeah yeah that's that's the, the main thing i use my multimeter for is that and uh and you know basic voltages mm-hmm. things like just power lines not any of the video stuff but yeah i'm starting to learn more and more about the different tools that i need to i don't want to say master because i don't think i ever will but at least become very comfortable with in order to continue to, to play in the space here
1: wouldn't that be mastering it
0: uh, I can't say that when I I know people like you and Steve mm. and Zach who are definitely masters at the craft. I think I'm just a tag along trying to do my best, mm. but I'm all right with that. So.
1: Well, the other thing that that scope does, it's also a logic analyzer too. Really? Yeah.
0: Hmm. I wouldn't even know how to begin to use it like that. Is it?
1: Oh, let's see. It's just got this cable on it. We can probably show B roll of
0: this. Oh wow! And uh, you can just put each. Uh...
1: Yeah, you got sixteen channels. So what I was doing on this, I hooked this up to the Super NT, the 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 PPU bus, and I could actually watch the signals as I like wrote things to it. You can actually get the timing and stuff.
0: Oh, that's so cool! So essentially, that's a sixteen channel scope.
1: It's all, yeah. It's like for digital, and you can do the analog at the same time.
0: That's going to come in handy. So,
1: I could do things like check the lag, like when a register is written to, it and see how long it takes for it to come out of the video pin. I did that.
0: That is cool. Mm-hmm. So, one of the things that uh, actually Smoke Monster had demonstrated a few weeks ago in a video was that I don't want to use the word lag because people are, are mistakenly saying that, but um, the time that it takes from a button push to action on screen for certain games. And he'd showed some games that are one frame. Some games like Mortal Kombat Two takes two or three frames mm-hmm. depending on the move and the character, which cracked me up by the way. I didn't realize that game was so that's the proper way to say laggy, because that's programmed in. Is that the same findings that you found when you were uh, when you were testing Super Nintendo?
1: Well, it depends on how the game's programmed. When they read, they usually read the controllers once a frame. Mm-hmm. So when you press the button, there can be up to one frame of lag, depending on when you press it to when it's read. If it's only read one time a frame, if you press it right after it's read, you got to wait the whole frame until it's read again. Until so you see, oh, I got one frame of lag, and you press again, oh, I didn't have any lag that time, you know. So that's that's really just
0: inherent. Uh or that's random that's not something that
1: no it's depending on how the game's programmed but yeah you have up to one frame of lag in imply or uh, you know implicit from the way it's read mm-hmm. you know most games read it once per frame some games may read it more but it's very very rare it's usually once a frame is it
0: possible uh, it is possible for a super nintendo game to read more than one once a frame oh, of course you
1: can read it as often as you want
0: is it true that some Atari 2600 games read every with every scan line?
1: Oh, yeah, they'd have to. Like, for Paddle games, it's gotta.
0: Oh, that's right, for Paddle, huh? Because I, I do remember a couple of 2600 games over the years, or maybe it was more on the Coleco side, where from the time you pressed that button, there was a delay from when the character moved. And that's I always assumed that was just the way it was programmed in. Yeah, that
1: was by the way it was programmed in. Like, on some games, like, for example, they may only... Up, they may, if you like playing Super Mario, let's say, I can't remember exactly how it works, but some games, they'll update the player every other frame and enemies are the other frame. So it's like enemy player, enemy player, enemy player. That's you, interesting. You know, because it takes a bunch of processing time. There's only a finite time, you know, resource available. So they'll multiplex. Okay, this frame, we're going to work on th- these enemies. The next frame will work on other enemies and maybe the player, you know, hmm. just it's up to how it was programmed. So there's some games that will always have lag, but it's just because it's in the way it's programmed, and there's nothing you can do to fix that because it's just in the game itself.
0: So for games with driving wheels, then, or, or any other paddle controller on any other system, um, are, do you know of any systems, or have you worked with any that, that is limited to once a frame, which kind of would make driving controllers or paddles? a little I,
1: I don't know. Well, I mean, only once a frame is probably good enough for any type of game like that, that's 60 times a second. You'd be hard-pressed to notice that kind of lag. That
0: is true. Yeah, good point.
1: Well, I I personally don't notice lag until it gets to about two or three or four frames. That's
0: actually exactly what I was just about to ask you. Um, I I think I can
1: tell at about
0: two, especially if it's something like display lag that could be Mm -hmm. variable. That's when it gets me, because if it's exactly two frames of lag, I, could, I probably you wouldn't You can notice, compensate, but yeah. yeah. But when it's, you know, one and a half, two and a quarter, two, one and a half, that messes with me pretty bad. There are some games that, it, even like, the one that really hit me was, I think it was Oracle of Seasons for Game Boy Color. Uh, one of the mini games where you had to like, you know, it was almost, I think it was the archery one or something. I could not play that on a Retron 5. Don't, don't throw up a Retron 5 (laughs) into a flat screen. And then I went and put it through just a tube TV and I did it the first time. I I I was going to
1: mention the Retron 5. Jason brought one of those over and I was playing Boulder Dash on the NES. There was at least six or seven frames of lag. It was terrible. How can you play games like this? You know, I played some other games and they were just garbage. It's like, how can you play this on this system, you know?
0: Yeah. Yeah, that was a... I think that was... The Retron 5 was when I really grasped the difference and, and how important it was. And it was actually Artemio who mm-hmm. mailed me... As soon as he found out what I was doing, he mailed me a Genesis cart, which I thought was really awesome with his 240 suite on there so I could just fire away and start testing. Uh-huh. And yeah, wow, I, that was pretty disappointing on the Retron 5.
1: How but, how much lag did you see?
0: Um, the Total total display lag including the two that my uh that my tv added there were some uh, some tests and in seven
1: yeah that'd be about right
0: not all not all cores not all cartridges you know, that's a tenth things, of but... a
1: second that's a long time
0: yeah yes yeah that's pretty crazy But,
1: But, yeah, I mean, I was playing the NES on there, you know, on Boulder Dash. You know, I play that. You know, I'm pretty good at that. I play that a lot. mm -hmm. And I couldn't play it because I'd move the controller. Like, you'd move the controller back and forth, and the player would be, like, the opposite. of, You know, like, you went left, you'd go right, and vice versa because, you know, there was so much lag in it.
0: Mm -hmm.
1: Yeah, that was terrible. I don't know how people could play that.
0: Neither do I. It was funny because I think I saw Jimmy Fallon or one of the nighttime TV people... Had Mike Tyson on to play Mike Tyson's Punch Out just for fun. And were
1: they using one of those? They were
0: using a Retron Five, and all I could think of was even if he was a master at this game, there's no way you could play it and beat it in that thing. So
1: that's funny.
0: Well, well, before I go, I guess the last question is: Is there any anything that you'd like to work on that you're allowed to talk about? Is there some kind of cool project that? Put on your bucket list that uh, that you want to see at some point. Things to keep the uh, keep your fans hoping and guessing in the next couple of years or something.
1: The only thing I'm seeing that working out is my music synthesizer, you know, chiptune. all encompassing chiptune synthesizer.
0: So you could—that's something a musician could actually use live yeah, while they Yeah, playing. Yeah, you'd have MIDI
1: in and knobs and lights and things like that.
0: That's pretty awesome. Have you ever tried that? Have you ever written your own music through that, or do you just no?
1: I mean, I've tried, I've done a few things, but I don't have time to learn at all, you know, it's work on electronic stuff, or do music stuff, or, you know, I got a million other things, unfortunately.
0: Yeah. Well, I just want to thank you again mm-hmm. for, uh, for, first of all, for always being nice to me, because you were my first <laughs> interview when people weren't even returning my emails, and like, whatever, dude, come back when you have more followers, <laughs> but you were like, nah, sure, I'll, I'll do an interview. So thank you for always being uh-huh. nice to me, and thank you for your, all the great work that you do for the community, because... Trust me when I tell you, everyone appreciates it. Oh, well, that's good. Cool. Thanks again, Kev. Mm-hmm.